welcome to Leading Grace, a listener-supported podcast from the Free Grace Alliance about working together to take the gospel of God's grace to the world. Welcome, fellow Free Gracers. I'm your host, Grant Holly, and you're listening to the Leading Grace podcast from the Free Grace Alliance. The Lord said that the world would know we were his disciples by our love for one another, but it seems like today believers are so deeply divided that when those outside look at how we treat one another, they rarely see love. In today's episode of Leading Grace, instead of our usual interview format, I want to share with you a message I gave Emmanuel Baptist Church in Starkville, Mississippi back in February about how the gospel, when rightly understood, will promote unity in the church. Today I'm going to take us through the book of Galatians. And it's this is basically an overview of the book of Galatians, but with one particular theme in mind that I wanted to talk about, uh, growing together in grace. So there, there are three basic things that I want to establish today from the book of Galatians. The first is that gospel compromise divides. The second is that growth happens by grace through faith. And then the third is that grace motivates us to walk together. So I want to start here with Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Now, just to give a little bit of a background, Paul had ministered to these churches and taught them the gospel And so these are people who understood free grace. They understood that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That they didn't need any any works to earn, keep, or prove their salvation. In Galatians 1, 6, and 7, Paul writes to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He's shocked that so quickly after he left them, they're already turning away to a different gospel. And he says, which is not another, and that means this gospel that they're preaching isn't even really a gospel. It's not good news. The word gospel means good news. They're turning away to this false gospel because there are some who are troubling them and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, these people that we're talking about, uh, Paul goes on to talk about them later on in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. And so these people came in, these were were Jewish believers coming into these Gentile churches and saying, you guys are excluded, you are out, you are not part of the people of God. We are. And if you want to be part of the people of God, you have to become like us. And what do we do whenever we see a VIP area or whatever? We want in because we're excluded. We feel like Oh man, if I can't be in there, I'm not one of the cool people. And so that's what these people were trying to do. They were trying to act like celebrities so that when they would come in and they would say, you're excluded, their hope was that they would be treated like celebrities and everybody would want to be part of their group. That they would be zealous for them and they would do things for them to help them. It was selfish. They just wanted to be served and to be treated as special. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you 
that you may be zealous for them. Now we have a, a situation here um, that Paul talks about when he's talking to the Galatians because it was similar. This was a similar situation. And it had to do with Peter and some other Jewish people who were fellowship, fellowshipping with the Gentiles in Antioch. And Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now that is uh, as, as, as dramatic as you can possibly imagine a scene happening between two apostles. We're talking about two people that were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to represent him to the world, and they're both in the same congregation. And one of the apostles, Paul, stands up before everybody and calls out another one. This is, this is a, a tense moment. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Peter was at fault here. For before a certain man came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. I want to stop there for a minute. I wanted to address the comment that before he says, before certain men came from James. We learn actually in Acts chapter 15 that James and the Jerusalem church, James was the Lord's half-brother, and he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and he was a leader among the Christians in Jerusalem. And so James, after this, what's called the Jerusalem Council in, in Acts chapter 15, they, they actually got together and they wrote a letter to these Gentiles. And part of, part of what they said was, look, these people that went out and troubled you, we didn't send them with that message. Okay, so we're not faulting James here. James actually understood the gospel. We see that very clearly in Acts chapter 15. And so, yes, these people came from James claiming to represent him, but they did not. Okay, And so what happened was, before certain men came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But then these people came, and he withdrew and separated himself because he was afraid of them. He got scared. Now, I want you to think about this from the perspective of one of these Gentile Christians. You had forever been excluded by the Jewish people. They couldn't hang out with you because if they did, they were made unclean. They wouldn't be able to come to your home. They wouldn't be able to sit down and have a meal with you. They, wouldn't, they couldn't touch you because they'd be made unclean. And now, because of the Jewish Christ, Jesus, because he died for you, you have now been included in the people of God, not in Israel, but you are now part of the people of God in the church. You're on equal standing. And that is so vividly illustrated by the fact that Peter, the head of the apostles, or the leader from among the apostles, I should say, Christ is the head. The leader from, the, from, the, from among the apostles would sit down with you and have a meal in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ and in fellowship together. What an illustration of the gospel. This would be so encouraging. And it's just something that would be a very special thing to experience. And then all of a sudden, some people come 
from Jerusalem, claiming to represent the Jerusalem church. And then Peter withdraws and he says, I'm not going to eat with you anymore. This would be heartbreaking, to say the least. It, it would feel like getting stabbed in the back. But more than that, it undercuts the gospel. We don't think that stopping having dinner with somebody maybe would undercut the gospel, but this does because there's an implication that you are no longer good enough. I can't eat with you because you're unclean. What does that say about the cross? We're talking about the same guy, Peter, who was the first person to ever go to a Gentile house and share the gospel. And this happened after he had a vision from the Lord. The Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and brought down this sheet full of all these foods that are unclean under the Mosaic law and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says to Jesus, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that because that's against the law, right? But this happened three times. And what what Jesus said each time to Peter, every time he said, no, I'm not going to do that, Jesus says to him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Or profane. What God has cleansed, you must not call profane. Peter got the message. When we get to the next chapter in Acts, he goes and he ministers to Cornelius in his household, and he tells them, the Lord has shown me that nothing, meaning no one, is common or unclean. Because of what Christ did, Christ died to make everyone clean. That doesn't mean everybody's saved. We have to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. But what it does mean is that we can go and we can go to them without fear of becoming unclean. Peter could go freely into Cornelius' household. He could share the gospel with him. He could have fellowship with him after he comes to faith in Christ. And they are then brothers. Peter got it. But right here, he's acting like he doesn't get it. In Galatians chapter 2, he says, He would eat with the Gentiles, but when these people came from James, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Anybody know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement, right? Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's not a given name. That's what they called him because of his character. He was somebody who would go around encouraging everybody. And Barnabas was carried away with this same hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, meaning you don't keep the law, why why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You don't keep the law, why are you trying to tell them that they need to keep the law? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, and all they mean by all he means by that is that uh, they have the law and they were living under the law versus the Gentiles who were not living under the law. Okay, let's let's not try to read too much in this. Everybody's all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Jew and Gentile alike, but he's using that term in a specific way. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. This is still Paul calling out Peter. He's reminding him of things that he already understands. You already understand that justification is by grace through faith and not of works, and that the works of the law have nothing to do with it. It's not that he doesn't understand, it's that he's acting inconsistently with it. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Meaning, if we're not keeping the law, and it's sin not to keep the law, as Peter's actions are implying, then, and Christ told us that we don't have to keep the law, then aren't we saying that Christ is a minister of sin? Of course, Christ is not a minister of sin, everybody. He is a minister of righteousness and holiness. Okay, The only way that can be true is if we really are free from the law. He says, certainly not, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Paul and Peter have been going around living in freedom from the law, telling people they don't have to live under the law, but they are justified by faith in Christ alone. If he goes now and says, we do have to keep the law, even just by his actions, by saying, I'm not going to eat with you anymore. In doing that, he's making himself a transgressor. Now, a transgression is different from a sin. A sin is just something that misses the mark. It's something that's wrong that we either do or when we don't do something that's right that we know we need to do. Those are sins. But a transgression is actually breaking a law, so it's a little bit different. There are sins that are not transgressions. We're not under law, but we still can sin. But not being under the law, we can't transgress. He says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As he's going through here, he keeps using the word Christ, 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 and then all of a sudden, at the end, he says, Son of God. And there's, there's a couple of things that he's doing there. The, the main thing is that he is trying to help Peter to understand that Christ and God are on the same page in what he did for us. And that it's not only did Christ give up his life for us, but God gave up his son for us. He's bringing out both of those just by switching from saying Christ is the son of God. He loved, loved me and gave himself for me. And all throughout this, when he's, when he's talking, he says, for if I build a, uh, again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What he means is, or if you build again those things which you destroyed, you make yourself a transgressor. 
or you through the law died to the law that you might live to God. He's just saying all these things, speaking about himself, because this is Paul in a very tense moment, standing up in front of all the congregation, calling out another apostle, but he's doing it in such a loving way that he's not even pointing the finger. He's, he's just speaking the truth about himself and things that he knows are true also about Peter. This is such a great example for us about speaking the truth in love. Sometimes you've got to say stuff. Sometimes things need to be said. And for the sake of all these Gentiles, this needed to be said. How do you correct that impression? You can't do it privately. You can't say, Peter, you have just implied by your actions that all these people are unclean and that the gospel isn't good enough for them and Christ isn't enough for them. How do you correct that? You can't just pull Peter aside and say, hey, you know, you need to go back and eat with them because here's why. You've got to say it in front of everybody so that everybody knows that the gospel is sufficient and Christ is sufficient and what he did for you is sufficient and that you are beloved. Not because of anything you do and you aren't excluded because of anything you didn't do. But you're included because of Christ and what he did. You're beloved because of him and what he did. And he did it for you just because he loves you. Paul had to say that in front of everybody because if he didn't, then who knows what people would continue to think. And so the situation is tense. This is a public calling out. But it's spoken in love. This is just the most beautiful thing to me. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. This actually concludes Paul's statements to Peter, and then he turns to these Galatians who are in a similar situation. Okay, it's not Peter who withdrew from them, but it's these people that came in and excluded them because they wanted to be treated special. And so the Galatians are in this situation, and they're in the place of all these Gentiles that were in Antioch when Peter withdrew from them. They're, they're in that same place. And Paul doesn't have the opportunity here to call out those false teachers in front of everybody and speak to them. What he can do is he can speak to the church that he planted. And so he talks to them and tries to build them up. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. They understood the gospel. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. They understand that Christ died for them. They know. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, they've never been keeping the law, and they received the Spirit, so the answer is pretty clear. They received the Spirit by the hearing of faith apart from the deeds of the law. He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
Now, we don't have the same legalistic tendencies that were present in their culture. Ours are different, okay? Um, at that time, it had to do with things like circumcision and dietary laws and that sort of thing. And today, we fill it up with all kinds of other things, and it just depends on what our subculture is and what, what we put in there. You go to one community, you'll have a certain list. You go to another, you have a very different list. But there is legalism that sometimes we get caught up in. And when we do that, we are implying that even though we began in the Spirit, we're now being made perfect by the flesh. And that word perfect, it, 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 we use the word perfect and we think you know, perfection, and that's not really what we're looking at. This, this word really means something more like mature okay, or complete. When we add to what Christ has done, through any kind of legalistic means, what we're doing is saying that we are maturing by the flesh. We're participating in the same kind of foolishness. What does this do to our community? <clears throat> Let me rephrase that. What does understanding and living by the gospel do to our community? Instead of living in legalism, if we reject that, and instead we decide, okay, we understand from 1 John 3.23 that this is his commandment, that we believe in Jesus and love one another. Okay, very simple. The Christian life is so simple. And when we talk about that, believing in Jesus and loving one another, that covers everything. We don't need anything else. We don't need any other list of rules. Even when we're talking about private, personal integrity things, if we are truly going to live a life that's going to love others and we understand that in order to minister to someone, my relationship with God needs to be uh, healthy. So I can't act in private in some kind of uh, wicked way and then come in person and uh, try, to, uh, try to love and minister to you guys in a way that's inconsistent with who I am or with, um, inconsistent with my private behavior. Okay, that doesn't work. And so, really, if we think about it, every single aspect of our lives, if we're going to live out love for one another, it's going to be affected. And we don't need anything else. His, command, his commands are not burdensome. Believe in Christ, love one another. It's very simple. So if we live like that, what does our community look like? He says, now to Abraham and to a seed where the promise is made. This is Galatians 3.16. And he does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And so we're talking about uh, way back when God promised to Abraham that his seed would receive all these blessings that he had explained. Okay, And so this seed is Christ. Abraham's seed is Christ. And that's what I wanted to establish from that verse. 319a and following, he says, what purpose then does the law serve? So if we understand that justification is not from the law and sanctification is not from the law, then why does the law exist? It says it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promises were made. Now, this word that's translated because of 
is mistranslated. It should read something like, it's, it's a little awkward and this is why they do it, but it should read something like with a view toward, okay? And what it means is that the law was added to bring about transgressions. Now, you remember I said earlier that a transgression is breaking the law. It's different from a sin. Sin is just a sin, but a transgression is breaking the law. Now, before the law, there weren't any transgressions because there weren't any laws. Right? Everybody with me? And so God added the law so that when people sinned, the law would say, you sinned and it's a transgression. You broke it. Okay? So that we would understand that God has a standard that we need to live under. Okay? That's what the law is. And so what it is is given so that we would understand sin, we would understand the depth of it in our hearts, and we would realize, oh, we need a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Okay? But it had an expiration date. It said it was added until the seed should come to whom the promises were made. That is until Christ. 326 to 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I'm not Jesus, okay? Um, I don't think any of us are Jesus. But what are we? We are the body of Christ, aren't we? When we believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ so that we are now part of him. We belong to him. We are of him. We are his body. And so all those promises that were made to Abraham and his seed now apply to us. Okay? We don't get the land. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about these, these other promises of blessing. So if you are Christ's, and that's everybody who believed in Christ. If you don't believe in Christ, people have been explaining the gospel very clearly, I believe here, these last uh, couple of days. But sometimes you have to talk some of these things out with somebody. And so I really encourage you, if you don't know that you have everlasting life, if you don't know that you are Christ, come talk to me, come talk to Charlie or Everett or Kenny or really just about anybody from this church, um, you guys can, you can sit down and have a wonderful conversation, explain uh, what your doubts are, and they can help you. Okay? It's worth a conversation, I promise you. But we should understand that if we are Christ, and we are, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. What that means is that social, social status doesn't matter. Cultural doesn't matter. Male or female, it doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ. All those distinctions are put away. And if, if it were today, they would put, he would put a whole bunch more different distinctions that tend to separate us. We are, we are so separated based on unbiblical or extra-biblical biblical things all the time. 
politics, race, gender, social class, sports teams. <laughs> um, can you guys be friends with an old Miss, old Miss fan? <laughs> yeah. So I'm a Cowboys fan. <laughs> yeah, because because of Dak, it's a, that's a more friendly thing here than it is in a lot of places. Uh, but you know, I go to a lot of places, and and uh, that can that can create some tension, right? If I if I'm wearing my Cowboys jacket or something. And so, um, but we, we get so divided over so many things that have nothing to do with Scripture, or at the very least, they are like third-tier issues. And what did Christ say on the night he was crucified, after he's given his disciples his last sermon, that he's ever going to give him, the Upper Room Discourse. In John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father. And he points out one thing that is going to convince the world of the truth of who Christ is. And that's that they will be one as we are one. And we can't get along with somebody who's from a different generation because they have some different preferences and about something that doesn't make a difference at all. We're spoiling our witness. And in doing stuff like that, we're actually living in a way that's hypocritical and contrary to the truth of the gospel. We have to get over that stuff. We have to, for the sake of Christ and the gospel. So some of the time, sometimes we really like commandments. So Paul gives two of them here. Okay? He gives a positive commandment and a negative commandment. First, the positive commandment, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And then the second one, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So if you want some laws, there you go. These ones you can keep to the letter. And let me, let me go back to that. And when we do this, we're living in a way that illustrates the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? We are not free because God wants us to be able to spin that on our flesh, but we are free one, to illustrate the gospel, and two, so that we're free to minister to and love people who are very different from us. That's why we have Christian liberty. This is why Christian liberty was such a big deal to Paul, because he's a, he was a Pharisee. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was from the most legalistic sect of Judaism. And he was, he was um, on the fast track to probably... Um, you know, leading leading everybody. This guy, they uh, extra biblical tradition tells us that he might have been the youngest member of the Sanhedrin ever. The Sanhedrin was a group of leading rabbis. And then God says to him, 
you're going to go and you're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to go and you're going to eat catfish and swine. You're going to have fun with them. Anybody ever here ever eaten anything common or unclean under the Mosaic Law? Actually, you're all wrong. You haven't. You know why? Christ has made it clean. Never since, since my birth, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Because no such thing exists. And yes, I like bacon. <laughs> so we have to cling to, we have to hold to, we have to embrace, we have to teach this freedom that we have in Christ. For the sake of the gospel, we have to do it, even if it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's uncomfortable because people might be a little bit more free than we like. And their freedom might look a little different than our culture. But the gospel demands that we have to be okay with it. As for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is why we have the liberty, so that we can serve one another in love. He says, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the righteous requirement of the law which Romans 8 tells us is fulfilled in us when we do not walk according to the law or according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if we want to live a life that honors the righteous requirement of the law, we have to live in freedom from the law. Now let's look at these works of the flesh. I'm not going to focus on all of these. <clears throat> It says the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. I want to stop there and just mention those are all bad things. Don't, don't live that way. But the way to not live that way is through the Spirit. But this next part is really what I want to focus on. Okay? Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, and that actually doesn't even mean selfish ambitions. It means something more like a party spirit. Okay? It's a divisive attitude. Dissensions. Very similar. And then heresies, which we have a technical meaning of that, which appeared and, and started being used a long time after Scripture was written. Okay? Heresies means divisions. They can be doctrinal, and, doc and a, lot of, a lot of heresies are divisions caused by bad doctrine. Okay? That's, what a, that's what a heresy is. And so, look at these things, and he says envy. Okay? And I'm going to stop there. But if we look at all these things, these have to do with how we live in community, don't they? Hatred. John says if we hate our brother and we say that we love God, we're lying.
if you're a Republican and you hate your Democrat brother and you say you love God, you're lying. And if you're a Democrat and you hate your Republican brother and you say you love God, you're lying. And if you tell somebody, I love you so much, I don't care that you're a millennial, <laughs> and, then, and then that person goes to your Facebook and they look at your wall and they see you making fun of millennials in every other post because they got trophies for showing up or whatever it is. What are they going to think? They're going to think you're lying when you tell them that you love them. And you are. At least at, at the be, at, in the best light, you're being inconsistent. And the same thing if, if you're talking, if we're talking about politics. You tell your Democrat brother that you love your Democrat brother, and then they look at your wall, and all you're doing is saying the Democrats are of the devil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Social media is just one aspect of our lives, but all of our lives need to live out the truth of the gospel. And this is the whole point of what Paul is saying to Peter when he stands up in front of everybody and calls them out. Your life has to illustrate the truth of the gospel. And if we really believe it and we think about it and we let it impact our lives, it will change how we live. It will change how we interact with one another. When he talks about the fruit of the Spirit here, just think about what would happen if the church would really live this out. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Now, when we talk about peace, a lot of times we bring in like sort of a mystical idea and we think of like, um, um, like calmness of spirit. Okay? But that's not what peace means when peace, the word peace appears in Scripture. What peace means is an absence of conflict between people. It can be peace with God, but what that means is that I'm not in conflict with God. What Paul's talking about here is peace in the community. One believer to another, peace. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Some versions say patience, but I like this one better because this is it's more accurate, but it's also more illustrative because when we think about some of the people in our lives, some people are difficult. Some people are hard to get along with. They're hard to take. Sometimes in a conversation, it can be suffering for the person uh, listening. But the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Kindness. I've seen people bash kindness as if it's some kind of sin. Somebody better tell the Holy Spirit. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That word gentleness could be translated leniency. And self-control. Somebody makes you mad, someone says something you don't like. How do you react? Fruit of the Spirit will give you self-control, and you can act in a love, loving, kind, gentle way towards that person instead of firing back. 
says, against such things there is no law. You don't have to worry about any legalism. I should say Galatians 5.25. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, the word that's translated walk there, okay, it's not, it doesn't mean walk. Okay, this is from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. It says the interpretation of stoicheo, that's that word translated walk there, in the New Testament, as a synonym of peripeteo and pariumai, which mean walk, is undoubtedly, undoubtedly ancient and has always found supporters, but if it were correct, the, the New Testament would be alone in this use of stoicheo. Meaning it doesn't mean that. Even though people have been saying it means that for a very long time, it doesn't mean that. Okay? He goes on, he says, if our Christian life is fashioned, this is in this, talking about the same word, if our Christian life is fashioned as a new life in the Spirit, then let us be in harmony with the Spirit. Uh, he um, made a mistake there, I think, when he used the word with. That's not in, in the Greek. It's basically the you have to supply a preposition there, okay? But it's something that's going to be an indirect object. That's what the Greek tells you to do. And so if you understand the context... Uh, it is, if we live in the Spirit, let us also be in harmony, either in or by the Spirit. I would prefer by in both places. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also be in harmony by the Spirit. This is a one another passage. This isn't a me passage. This is a one another passage. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be in harmony by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He goes on, he says, Brethren, if, any man, if a man... And let me just say this, that the word brethren, it, 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 includes, it includes the sisters. Okay? And this word man here, this isn't the word that means males. It means human beings. Okay, so this applies to everybody. This isn't just for the men. Brethren, if any man or human being is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And man, we saw a great example of this when Paul stood up before Peter, before the whole church of Antioch, didn't we? It was bold. It was direct. It wasn't wishy-washy. But it was gentle. And as he's talking through these things, he's applying it to, to himself. As he's explaining this to Peter, he's using terms re referencing himself. He's considering himself throughout the whole thing. Because he knows that he's flawed as well. This word trespass is actually, it's a different word. It doesn't mean trespass. <laughs> okay? So don't get confused by that. Restore such a one. So many times when there's conflict that appears in the church and we need to address something. Sometimes there are, there are things that we need to address. 
important things. So many times we run into those things, and what we do is we bite back in a way that isn't seeking to restore, but we're trying to win. That's not, that's not reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. Don't worry about winning an argument. Worry about winning your brother. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that we love one another as he's loved us. Those burdens could be so many different things. So many different things. But we're in this together is what Paul's saying. And it's not because of some, you know, crazy idea that we're going to just just make unity where there isn't any. This isn't about ecumenicism. This is about the gospel because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. We have reason to walk in the Spirit and be in harmony with one another. And if we're living in a way that's consistent with the gospel, this is going to be the result. I want us to all think through this in our lives. Think about everything that we're doing. Are we withdrawing from our brothers and sisters because we're afraid? Or are we reaching out to our brothers and sisters because of the grace of God and because of the the true meaning of the gospel? That we're all justified by grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves. None of it. It's because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we are thankful that as we come here to worship together, Lord, that we share the life of Christ, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that our lives would be consistent with what we know to be true in the gospel. We thank you for our time here and for our fellowship. We thank you for the people here who have been so gracious hosts. And Lord, we pray that our lives would honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. It's my most heartfelt hope that the Free Grace community can lead in this area, and in so doing, live out a good witness that glorifies the Lord and makes the world want to know more about God's matchless grace in Christ. If you're on Facebook, make sure to follow Free Grace Alliance so you can keep up with everything going on with us. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to become a member of the Free Grace Alliance or to support FGA in its efforts to share grace graciously, you can do that and learn more about FGA at freegracealliance.com.